Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy, and we are here. We're podcasting on Tuesday morning following regionals. Well, not really following regionals. There's still one ongoing. Columbia is wrapping up uh, this morning, but we did not want to wait for that to finish to, to get this podcast out to you. 15 of the 16 regionals have have been decided and that's uh that's at least a quorum so we're uh we're, we're gonna podcast and uh the let the weather situation in Columbia figure it out figure itself out whenever that happens so Joe and I are going to cover uh what's happened to this point uh and there was a it, it was an exciting regional round got a lot to get to there so let's get to it uh, but first we got to let you know that the Baseball America College podcast is presented by Rapsodo Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, here we are. We're mostly through regionals weekend, like I said, uh, almost all the way there. It was good to have regionals back. It was good to have the postseason back. It had been, you know, almost two years since since this had happened. And, you know, just to be able to gorge on postseason baseball this weekend was uh, was a pretty good deal. Yeah, no kidding. It was really nice to have back. And it was so fun and uh, kind of funny because it had been so long since we had this for for me to get back into the, the rhythms of regionals because I'd kind of forgotten in some regards how it, how it works, you know, but you, you start to get back in the rhythm of, okay, there, there are waves of games here. We're going to have a bunch that end around, you know, three, three thirty Eastern. We're going to budget in around four, four thirty Eastern. And then we hit little lulls, you know, as the, as the early games finish and the, the night games start to, to crank up. And so there, there just kind of is like a little bit of a natural rhythm to the weekend that I had, maybe lost a little bit because we, we took that year off, but it was, it was just so nice to be able to, to have all that in front of us. Every game means something, you know, during the regular season, it's so easy from week to week to get buried in the, 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 the sheer volume of games. And you, in so much of it just ends up not really being o- overly meaningful. And that's obviously not the case regional weekend. Every game here matters, even though some of them get out of hand and feel meaningless at times, like, they all have value. And so, you know, the game you're watching, you don't like the way that one's going, let's flip to another one. Let's see what else is on. And so that's a really nice regional weekend to have. And it was, you know, um, it, it, you know, I, I've become that old person where I start, especially now that I live on the East coast, I've become that old person where it's like, why are these games starting so late? Like, I guess that's just a natural <laughs> like evolution in life. You get to a certain age and you're like, why are they start? You know? Uh, and again, being on the East coast versus central is, is an, is an hour, but I think that's a, a particularly, 
um, big difference maker there, but, you know, so, you know, so I was spent some time late at night getting frustrated with pitching changes and, and all that kind of stuff, but it was a small price to pay to have this kind of thing back in our lives for sure. Yeah, I would, I would generally agree with all of that. I, I was less frustrated with the late start times, although to have two 10 Eastern start times on, uh, on Monday night was <clears throat> probably not the, uh, best option i don't know because of the way weather worked out and starkville not going uh to a game seven ultimately monday night was a little more spaced out like arkansas finishes its game against nebraska and then there was like just half an hour without baseball and that was that was a little weird and then like you had to wait until 10 o'clock for the last two to to start and stanford wrapped up at two in the morning which joe called it like midnight that that game wasn't going to end until till two Eastern and the night before uh, with Vanderbilt and Georgia Tech going 11 innings that that didn't wrap up until at least two Eastern as well I, I would say uh, so some late nights but that's uh, that's generally to be expected and then overall Joe I would say that we largely lucked out on weather this weekend like I know that sounds kind of crazy considering there's a game still to be played on Tuesday morning but it could have been a lot worse. I feel like, you know, I, th- there were maybe like four regionals that were affected by rain I, and like most of the rest of them just weren't. And even the ones that were, I mean, yeah, they suspended a game in Gainesville and they had to push a game back, like a, a full game back in Starkville. But otherwise, I, there, there was a lot less tarp action this weekend than, uh, than you sometimes get on regionals weekend. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I kind of felt the same way, to be honest with you. And I even almost tweeted it out after Friday's games. But uh, yeah, Friday was great. And this all yeah. Friday and Saturday were great. It, it really wasn't until Sunday. I mean, again, Gainesville had it's, it's Gainesville. But like other than that, Friday and Saturday were great. Yeah, yeah. So it was I almost tweeted something. And like, while I'm, I'm not a jinx believer and stuff like that, I know uh, many of my followers probably are not and would get on me for tweeting about how nice the weather was on Friday. So I left it. But um, I didn't need that in my life, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was like Gainesville and, and Starkville really got affected in any sort of real way. And then there was short delays in places like Fort Worth and, and Oxford and, and, and places like that. So it really, um, yeah, you're right. It really was not, not a bad weekend. I was tweeting with um, a Gator fan follower of ours, Sam Smith, who's a, a good college baseball tweeter. Um, he, he, I forget what he even tweeted about. Oh, he was just saying he'd spent a lot of time at Florida ballpark, just waiting out rain delays this weekend. And I said, yeah, it's, it's a dicey proposition for sure. I'll never forget the, this is before you were on the beat Teddy, but I believe it was the 2015 Dallas regional at, uh, and the ball, the, the outfield at, uh, the ballpark at DBU got so wet from so much rain that weekend. They brought in a helicopter to hover above the outfield to try to drive the grass with the wind off the helicopter blades. I mean, that was kind of how desperate, they were for that. And, and we don't have to go too much further back, like to remember regionals that really got affected by rain. The 2019, I believe it was 2019, or maybe it was 2018 Greenville regional. No, it was 2019 because it was Quinnipiac where they, they had to basically move everything back a whole day. So um, yeah, it could have, could have been a, a whole heck of a lot worse than, than what we got, which was, you know, a couple games moving, but ultimately just some delays here and there for regional weekend being given some of the history that we'll count that as a win. Yeah. I, uh, I'd go for that as well. And uh, so that, that was, that was really nice to see this weekend. It was also just really nice to see uh, some, while the weekend overall went pretty chalky um, 
I don't have in front of me how many one seeds advanced, but it's north of 10 and probably north of 12. Um, it's also not totally over yet because ODU is still, still in the mix. Um, it's like 11 or 12, I think. Anyway, it was pretty chalky, but there were still some really good regionals out there. There were some some more snooze fests. Let, let's just be honest, like Texas Tech swept through its regional for the third straight time, which is a very impressive feat. Uh, but it also, you know, there just wasn't a whole lot of drama out in Lubbock. They, uh, they swept through the regional and, and they did it, you know, pretty convincingly. So there were a few of those, but, you know, I, even in some of the sweeps, you know, like Vanderbilt swept, but they, they were pushed by Georgia Tech and both of both Saturday and Sunday's games, they were, uh, Saturday was a one run game. Sunday went 11 innings. And, uh, you know, so that, that was, uh, that was exciting to see as well. And, you know, Joe, I, I, the, the, the standout for me, I mean, there were many standouts, but, but one of the, the big standouts in, in terms of just competitiveness of the regional was Fayetteville, which, was not something that I would have expected going into it, but it started from the first game on Friday when NJIT uh, you know, pushed Arkansas in a way that was unexpected for any four seed uh, to do, but certainly a four seed making its first ever appearance in the NCAA tournament to go into Bomb Walker. And uh, they, played, they played really well uh, out of the gate. They got cops into the game in the fourth inning, which is not something that I anticipated. And, uh, you know, Arkansas went on to win comfortably, but for a while, NJIT pushed them pretty good and apparently made really good friends with uh, with the fans there in Fayetteville. Uh, but it, it just kept going throughout the weekend. And ultimately, Nebraska forces a game seven, which uh, turned out to be, I don't know if it was the game of the weekend, but it was certainly up there on Monday night. Uh, Nebraska led Arkansas late into that one before Robert Moore, who else, tied the game. And then Arkansas, um, you know, pushed four runs across in the, in the eighth inning to, uh, you know, take control and, and see their way to, uh, to a Fayetteville Super Regional. But uh, that, was, that was a really great showing by Nebraska, a really fun game there on Monday night in, in Baumwalker. Yeah, I think it, it might have been the game of the weekend just from the standpoint of, for I would imagine for just the um, just for the the average sports watcher, not the college baseball watcher, that it was probably a game that got a lot more eyeballs than than many of them. Because let's say you're someone who was you know living your life on the weekend and not really paying attention to college baseball, like you might have when you got you know got done for the night or before you went to bed or whatever it is, like you might have flipped on a game or two, but. Like this one was in prime time to your point, kind of had a window to itself. Um, you know, there are other things happening in sports, but like, you know, if you, if you wanted to watch college baseball, like that was the game on. And so and I think people generally know how good, if they've been paying any attention, how good this Arkansas team is. So it probably drew some, some eyeballs there. So in that way, it kind of felt like the game of the weekend. I know it just internally at BA, it felt a little bit like the game of the weekend for similar reasons, you know, like, you know, a lot of our other staffers kind of were just enjoying their weekends and then, you know, they come back on Monday and, you know, they're paying a little bit more attention to it. So it was, it was got a little more focus here internally among the people who don't cover and follow college baseball all that closely necessarily. And so there was, there was that aspect too, but yeah, I, 
unexpected weekend all around. NG, I mean, <laughs> let me count the ways, basically. NGIT really pushing Arkansas and really looking pretty good all weekend, frankly. Like, they they did a really nice job and really only ran out of gas or right around the time you would expect them to run out of gas, you know, in that third game. And Northeastern just really didn't play well at all. <laughs> and that was, you know, I went on Arkansas an Arkansas podcast before the weekend and said, you know, I think Northeastern's an interesting team and could kind of push Arkansas because, you know, they're, they're, they have a level of physicality that a lot of mid-majors just don't. And they've got some real velocity on the mound and um, on and on and on, and, and they don't play well and, and, and they're gone. And then, you know, Nebraska doing what it do, did to really push Arkansas as far as we've seen any team push Arkansas this year. I mean, let's, let's call a spade a spade. I mean, they were, Arkansas was, five innings from getting eliminated essentially at that point. I, like I would push back on that slightly. I, I had the same thought in the moment, but if you think back to it, I mean, Ole Miss pushed Arkansas pretty good. Um, there were times that, that Arkansas has been pushed a little bit, uh, but certainly it's been a while since anyone did what, what Nebraska did. Yeah. I, so I guess what I mean, I guess I should be a little more clear with what I mean. Like, because when you when you factor in the moment, I think that's kind of what I'm getting at. Because Arkansas season is over if they lose that game yesterday. Right, right, right. You know, so like that. I guess I'm factoring that into it as well. So like getting pushed is probably harder than they have been. Is probably not exactly the right way to put it. But being held to the fire, you know, uh, more so than than they had been because the the season is over if they don't make that comeback. And so, you know, it's the Kevin Cop show and, and well timed home runs and, and that's Arkansas for you. And so. Um, that was, yeah, a really fun game that got its kind of highlight window there. And and I had a lot of fun watching it, like in a weekend full of fun baseball, like you and I talked about how Friday's regional games were kind of eh, with a couple of exceptions, but the, the, the rest of the weekend really delivered it and Fayetteville kind of seemed to deliver time after time. Yeah, that was uh, Kevin Copps's regional, basically. Uh, he, he, he played a factor in all three of the Arkansas wins. He, like I said, entered Friday's game much earlier than anyone would have anticipated, I think, coming into it, uh, you know, and, and bridged some middle innings. Uh, and then he pitched uh, again on Saturday. They gave him Sunday off. And then he uh, threw seven innings yesterday. <laughs> like, it's, uh, it's remarkable. Uh, his usage has been remarkable all season long. Uh, people have been, you know, asking me, probably since March, like, can they keep this up? Like, is he going to, is going to do this all year long? And like, yeah, I mean, probably like, I, I don't see why not. Like he's still throwing less innings than a starter would. Uh, this weekend was different just in the way that they used him. Uh, not surprisingly, but it, it, it just flat out was different. And you wonder, I mean, like without Paulette, like, does that, obviously that plays into it a little bit, but on Monday, you know, you knew they were going to go to cops and not be afraid to go to cops quickly, but for him to, to come in as early as he did and then pitch as long as he did and pitch as well as he did. I mean, it's not, it's not a surprise because welcome to Arkansas and welcome to the Kevin cops experience in 2021, but it also still was just something that, that we had not seen from him. It was, it was a, another level of performance from, from Kevin cops. Yeah. I mean, it's, I wrote in the, the, the piece after the game last night, which you can read at baseballamerica.com, that, that this this felt like in a lot of ways, like Kevin Copps' masterpiece. You know, it was high profile game in the postseason. It was a longer outing than he'd had. It's at the end of a weekend when he'd thrown a lot of pitches. I think he threw 185 for the week or something along uh, for the weekend along those lines. And um, it just, 
everything that everything that any doubter to the extent there are still Kevin Cops doubters, and I, I truly don't know that there are, like that's probably building a straw man argument, but any, any doubt you would have had about Kevin Cops and all that kind of stuff, like he just totally erased over the weekend. You know, you want to see him do it in a big moment, like in the postseason? Okay, there it is. Do you want to see him throw starters innings in a game instead of just, you know, three or four? You know, uh, there it is. Like, do you, do you want to see him, you know, dominate and, you know, continue to do so as he's done all season? Like, there it is. Like, I just think it was the, the type of performance that we're going to remember for, for a long, long time. Yeah, I, w- I would say there's no doubt about that. And before we move on from this, props to Nebraska. There were, I mean, you're talking about doubters. Uh, there were absolutely Big Ten doubters out there. There probably still are. Uh, welcome welcome to uh, college baseball, I suppose. But what Nebraska did this weekend, what Maryland did even, going to a regional final in Greenville and pushing ECU. Uh, not quite the same as pushing Arkansas, but they uh, they pushed ECU. Uh, what what they did this weekend? I mean, yeah, Michigan went zero and two and didn't look good doing it at all. And Michigan hasn't looked good for probably a month. But um, I guess it was not that long ago that they were looking okay against Indiana or better than okay against Indiana. But anyway, uh, what Nebraska did particularly and what Maryland did to a lesser extent, very impressive. The league. Looks like it was solid. Looked like it was solid all year long. Uh, I'm not here to relitigate uh, the situation. I also wish that college baseball fans writ large, if you're listening to this podcast, maybe you realize it, but writ large would realize that like it was not a baseball decision about the Big Ten playing non-conference games. That was a league-wide decision that only basketball played non-conference games because the NCAA told them to play non-conference games. In every other sport where the NCAA did not give guidance to the conferences or not strong guidance anyway, the Big Ten did not do it. So this isn't like, oh, they hate baseball. Like, you know, look, the Big Ten really likes lacrosse, and uh, that's undeniable. They didn't they didn't bother with non-conference games in lacrosse either. So, like, save that aspect of it. Miss me with those those tweets. But uh, still, the, w- without without the opportunity to prove themselves in non-conference play, their RPIs were wonky. Like, we, we've been over – over all of this a million times, but again, to, to see what Nebraska did in the conference and then what they did this weekend, uh, you know, something to be said for, uh, for just how good that Nebraska team was. And they were undoubtedly underseated as a two in Fayetteville. All right, Joe, with that, let's, uh, let's move on to some of the, the rest of the action around the country. But first, check this out. All right, Joe, Arkansas moved on. Fayetteville was, uh, was a blast. Let's, uh, let's move on to, to South Bend, however, uh, where the Oma Irish left absolutely no doubt. This was not a close regional. It was, however, a very entertaining regional. If you liked watching Nico Cavadas go absolutely bonkers and Notre Dame flex on the haters, it was... All Notre Dame, they outscored their opponents, which were Central Michigan and UConn, uh, 50 to 5 on the weekend. That's 50 to 5. Notre Dame did acknowledge, like Link Jared and and some of the players did acknowledge that they were ticked off playing with a chip on their shoulder after being the number 10 overall seed. So I think some of that some of what happened this weekend is, is certainly 
related to that. But also, I think some of it is probably, uh, you know, just we thought that I thought on paper this region would be pretty good. Ultimately, though, I think some teams got exposed here. I think UConn got exposed. I think Central Michigan acquitted itself pretty darn well. Uh, and Michigan, like I said, they hadn't played for well down the stretch, and that just kind of extended into the weekend. But I, I think what Notre Dame did on Saturday to UConn was absurd. They scored 26 runs. UConn was throwing its ace. Uh, that was that was not what I was expecting. I, I thought UConn – I was very interested to see what UConn was going to be like coming out of the Big East because they hadn't – they played some good teams early in the season. They had not fared well against them, and then they went into Big East play, and it's really hard to get a read on whether the Big East was good or bad this year, but uh, they just – they had played this level of competition, and then they, uh, they got overwhelmed by Notre Dame on Saturday. Yeah, it was um... – you know, not all regionals are created equal, you know, and, and we talked about some of the ones that we just don't end up paying a lot of attention to because they, they pass us by so quickly. Like Lubbock is like this basically, every, except for the one year where, you know, Sam Houston won both regional finals somehow uh, to move on. Move. We talked about how amazing that is in hindsight, but, you know, Lubbock seems to be that way just about every year where it's like, you know, you get to Sunday night and Texas Tech is moving on to the Supers and you realize you haven't watched but like 10 minutes combined of, of any Lubbock games, you know. And so there are those. And then there are sweeps that are interesting just for other reasons. And this was one of them where it was just interesting because of the way Notre Dame just absolutely dominated the field. And, and you're right. Two things can be true. Like Michigan hasn't been playing well, uh, didn't play well. UConn was a team that was kind of a mystery in a lot of ways. And I think we, we found out that you know, they were, they were kind of on the lower end of what the expectation might've been for, for them to do there. But it, it was kind of funny, you know, after Friday, you know, you and I messaged back and forth about how, you know, UConn kind of casually had worked their way into a pretty ideal situation where, you know, Notre Dame uses John Michael Bertrand in the opener and, and he, he, he saves the bullpen. Like he, you know, does an excellent job. So they got what they wanted out of him, but, you know, he's out of the way and he's really their one you know, starter who gives them the real length, you know? So it's like, okay, well, he's out of the way. And then they have been Kasparius on the mound, does UConn. So you're like, man, they really are set up well because like if Kasparius throws a really good game and, you know, UConn could kind of find its way in 2-0 and and it'll probably be a dogfight the rest of the weekend, but they're, they're in good shape at that point. And of course it doesn't play like out that out like that at all. And on squeeze play, Mike Rooney, our, our friend Mike Rooney talked about, you know, at some point this is also Jim Pender's kind of, um, you know, mitigating things by, by he's not using any pitchers at this point. And this is when it's like the totals in the teens. It's not yet in the twenties, you know, he's, you know, not going to be using any pitchers of import right now because he knows he has other games to play this weekend. And while I will agree with that, I also, it's one of those things where it's like putting up that many runs against any division one level pitching is pretty impressive. And so, cause it's, it's uh, even beyond the difficulty of hitting division one pitchers. It's also the fact that, you know, Notre Dame just kept their foot on the gas. Like we see a lot of games like that. We saw plenty this weekend where teams will put eight, 10, 12, 14 runs on the board pretty early. And they'll just kind of go into cruise control and the at-bats start getting poor and the, the focus kind of wavers. But we didn't see that from Notre Dame at all on Saturday. So they dominated that regional. And yet that regional was, was pretty fascinating just because the level to which they dominated. Yeah. I mean, you drop 50 runs, like, there's uh, there's a certain amount of attention that that's going to be paid to that. You know, no no disrespect to what 
uh, Texas Tech did. It just it wasn't it wasn't that. <laughs> or, or or Texas, not to pick on, on on Tech here. Like Texas swept through the Austin Regional, no sweat, but like it wasn't that. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so I mean, I, I I am of course not particularly surprised that Notre Dame played incredibly well. I still. Again, I can't say I saw this coming. Like I saw Notre Dame playing well this weekend. They didn't see them playing amazingly well, um, like playing better than any other team in in the country. And that leads us to, you know, I, we could sit here and talk about how great Nico Cavadas was and Notre Dame was and all the rest of that. And I don't want to get too crazy into previewing supers yet, Joe, but they now go to Starkville, Mississippi State, when it's regional. They swept through it. It was a little bit tighter. They played a one-run game against Campbell in the regional final, for instance. Uh, but they, they look pretty good this weekend, too. I mean, that's got to be one of the matchups of the weekend in Starkville. And I personally feel great about Notre Dame going into the, the Super, but I acknowledge that like this might be a little bit of a blind spot because I'd see what I want to see at this point with, with Notre Dame. I, but like, what what are you, what are you thinking going into uh, into the weekend there in Starkville? I mean, I like I'll put it this way: like, I feel like this is my version of being, you know, being optimistic about it. Is that I like their chances as much as anybody who could have possibly played there. So not Arkansas, like, is what I'm saying. Like anybody who could have been a nine through sixteen seed to end up in Starkville, like I like their chances as much as as much as anybody, especially with what we saw. And you know, by the way, like. You know, Mississippi State has some of the issues from time to time that could serve to uh, put Notre Dame in a good position. I, you know, i.e., you know, Mississippi State does have those games where it's like their starting pitcher just does not have it. And, you know, they don't, they have Landon Sims and they have a couple guys in the bullpen, but it's not quite to the point where they can, you know, they still want to get guys to give them innings on the mound. Those guys are really talented. And, but, but they can get a little bit sideways. And so if Notre Dame putting runs on teams like they did this past weekend, like I could see a scenario where they do that a little bit, at least one game to, to Mississippi State. I think being on the road in Duty Noble, which is going to be electric, and I think there's there's been a lot of like crosstalk between Mississippi State and, and Notre Dame. You know, I, I'm not exactly sure that the genesis that other than being paired up, you know, kind of on opposite sides of the bracket, which will do that kind of thing. But I think that's going to be an electric atmosphere. I think there, there's going to be a particular kind of animus towards Notre Dame, which I know is sometimes the avatar of, of hatred for college sports fans just in, in general for a lot of reasons that have nothing to do with this baseball team, of course. But um, yeah, I'm with you. And I, that's one of the super regionals I'm kind of most looking forward to, to seeing how it plays out, because if, if Notre Dame plays anything like they did this past weekend, um, you know, they could, they could go into Starkville and win. There are very, very few teams in college baseball, even in a year when Mississippi state is a very good, but somewhat flawed team. There are very few teams that I feel comfortable saying could do that. And, and Notre Dame is one of them. Here's a hot take. If Notre Dame plays like they did last weekend for the next three weeks, they win the national title. Yeah. I mean, I, I could certainly see, I mean, that, that is certainly a hot take. I will, I will give you that. Um, but yeah, I mean, gosh, yeah, it, 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 at this point, it sounds as plausible as, as anything else. I think that's, um, I say go for it. I say really lean into that for sure. I mean, like I'm already pretty far in on this. Like I like, why, why not, why not go like another like half step further, you know, like at, we'll, we'll see where I land on this, but, <laughs> uh, I'm, uh, I'm enjoying, uh, the watching the Oma Irish offense right now. That is, that is for sure. All right, Joe, uh, let's, uh, 
let's go to your like we, we we just talked about my great pick of the year which is notre dame is my omaha sleeper in the preseason let's now talk about one of your better picks which was dallas baptist winning the fort worth regional you had that uh it, it called last week and it, it uh it came to fruition dbu played really well all weekend ultimately beats oregon state in the final on monday uh after knocking out tcu uh they dbu beats uh beats oregon state on friday then they beat tcu on saturday then oregon state knocked out tcu actually and then uh you know, they, they go on to, to play back-to-back finals against Oregon State. All three of those DBU Oregon State games were excellent. Two of them were one-run games. Monday was not, but it was uh, it was a case where Oregon State led five to nothing after the fifth inning, and then DBU scores six on or eight unanswered, excuse me, to, to win. Andrew Benfield uh, comes through with a, a grand slam. That's the the big the big hit in the in the comeback and DBU moving on to supers for the first time since 2011. Yeah, I have to admit, part of the reason I picked DBU was based on what I how kind of I thought the draw would play out, and did it actually end up playing out that way? And they still got it done, which I think actually is is even more of a credit to them than I was giving them credit for because I I'd kind of imagined a scenario where, you know, they. You know, for all these teams that are not power conference teams that don't, because I mean, Dallas Baptist is a very talented team. They don't have the depth of that's where the difference is for even good mid majors versus major conference teams is, you know, just one or two guys can make a difference. And so I kind of always felt like going two and O to start was, was important there as it always is with the, you know, threes and fours, having a, having a chance, look, uh, see uh, South Florida, for example. We'll get to them in a second. Yeah. But um you know, I kind of imagined a scenario where they end up on the regional final day and TCU is trying to claw back and TCU wins an elimination game like, you know, 15 to 12 or something. And then, you know, TCU is going to try to do that again against Dallas Baptist. And I just kind of thought, you know, DBU with one fewer game played, you know, might be able to take TCU in that situation because I, I was losing a lot of trust in TCU's pitching staff and, and you know, for good, for good reason with some of the stuff that happened. And so, that was kind of what I envisioned it actually ended up being different where I actually thought the matchup with Oregon state was a little bit worse because Oregon state does not have the offensive TCU. But the thing about Oregon state is that they are a team that actually was fairly well built to win a regional, I think where they don't necessarily have, you know, the, the, the standout frontline guy. I mean, Kevin Abel has the name recognition, but he's, you know, been a little bit inconsistent this year, but what they do have is like just a, like a whole host of relievers that, you know, can come in and give them one, two or three innings. And those guys on Monday were all, not all of them, but most of them were all fairly rested. And so they were really trying to do a thing where they just kind of stack relievers two innings at a time. And I thought it was going to work. You know, they, they were up five, nothing late. And, you know, uh, Dallas Baptist gets a couple of big swings doing what they do. You know, it's kind of like we talked about with Arkansas, Dallas Baptist doing what they do. The home run ball was there for them. And, you know, really, uh, um, really paid off at the right time. And now it's, it's an interesting deal. I mean, first super regional since 2011, there's a lot of talk about Dallas Baptist isn't, uh, you know, is an Omaha caliber club, um, not just this year, but, but generally speaking, and they're going to have a pretty good opportunity because not only are they paired up with Columbia where, you know, we're going to have either old dominion or Virginia, um, advance, but also, you know, old dominion and Virginia are playing right now. And so this will, be a Saturday start doubleheader or Saturday start super regional. I'm certain, but you know, 
they got pushed an extra day, you know? And so that's a small advantage. Um, but you always are looking for little small advantages. And if you're looking to be optimistic about DBU in a super regional against even a team as talented as Virginia, if that's the way it goes, like that could be a little bit of a small advantage. The fact that, you know, those teams are having to hang around an extra day in a place they did not intend to be hanging around an extra day. It, it also, and we can uh, talk about this a little bit more in a second, but like they're going to be playing this super in Columbia. And so they're not going to have DBU is, is not going to have to go into a true road game, despite being a number three seed. Uh, so they've got, they've got that going for them as well. Uh, Jim Schlossnagel, I believe it was on Friday night, it must have been on Saturday, said uh, that DBU is an Omaha caliber team or an Omaha team that just hasn't made it yet. And I think that's, uh, that's just about right. I mean, this program has been has been outstanding. But it's also been a decade between super regional appearances. And, you know, that's no, they're in regionals literally every year. Um, and they've hosted in that time, it's no discredit to them for not making it. It's hard to make super regionals, especially when you're a mid-major team. And I think they've only hosted once in that time. So, uh, you know, no, no, no discredit to DBU at all, but they are, they're just kind of this acknowledged great mid-major team. And, and now they, they do have a chance as, as the draw sets up pretty well for them. Uh, like we talked about to uh, to break through uh, quickly on TCU, Joe. I we, we talked about it so much down the stretch about how it was backing up on them. I uh, I maybe got a little caught up in two things when I when I picked TCU to win this regional one. What they did last week in Oklahoma City, going out and winning the Big Twelve tournament, uh, and then two just their their record over the years in home regionals they had only lost one home regional or super regional under Jim Schlossnagel previous to this year and I, I I got caught in those two things and ultimately they uh they had not fixed what ailed them and uh they they go out and uh you know they, they played a good game against DBU just got beat and then Oregon State gets them uh in that elimination game yeah it wasn't it wasn't the way that I mean, that's the other thing that's a little bit perplexing is it wasn't the way in which I thought they'd get eliminated. I mean, they, they, you know, they let a comeback against Dallas Baptist. So I guess that's, that's a little bit on brand where it's like the pitching slipped a little bit. DBU made a late comeback and then there it is, but you know, to, to pitch pretty well against Oregon state and then lose that game three to two is just kind of a tough way to, to have that go because that's the type of game where if you, if you said, Hey, you know, you're going to, if TCU is going to limit opponents to three runs in this regional, like the, you know, they're, they're probably in really, really good shape and they just couldn't quite, couldn't quite pull it off. So that was, that was kind of a surprising way for, for it to end for, for this particular team, for sure. Um, since we mentioned it here, the NCAA on Tuesday morning before we started recording this announced super regional sites and times and dates and all the rest of it. And the interesting thing in that is that they selected Columbia as the host site for the super regional. Uh, they had to make a, a pick because uh, TCU getting eliminated and then ODU being a road one uh, playing Virginia in this regional final meant that they had to, they were going to just have to pick one of the 16 regional host sites that was not in use uh, for, for supers already. Uh, because again, they need to have it as a, as a testing site for COVID can't set that up in a couple of days. You, you, that takes weeks. So they, they're stuck with these, these sites uh, for better or worse. And basically that meant that they were going to pick 
Greenville, Columbia, or Fort Worth. And I do wonder if the Columbia Regional had finished on Monday and if Virginia had won it, would they have gone to Fort Worth or would they have deemed UVA to be the better team and, and then put it in Columbia or I suppose Greenville? Um, but we'll, we'll never know. They, they stick with Columbia. And I, I think they stick with Columbia, A, because ODU is still in the mix and they are a one seed. B, ODU and South Carolina already are playing too late. And so this allows that team to you know, not have to change or get on a plane tonight or even just change uh, uh, cities uh, within the Carolinas going to Greenville, even though it would be closer to Charlottesville or uh, or Norfolk. Um, and then also it's, uh, it's a lot easier to get into Columbia for DBU purposes than it is to get to Greenville. Uh, so I think all of that leads to, to this regional being in Cola. Uh, but, but Joe, what do you think? There are a lot of people that are very upset about the idea of a neutral site super regional. There are a lot of people that are upset about this because uh, they'll get upset at anything the NCAA does or because they're disappointed in the way the host site selection went all this year anyway. Uh, but what do you, ignoring all of that kind of noise, just what do you think about the neutral site super regional? I mean, it's, it's not ideal, but like, I just don't know, you know, what the alternative here would have been because it's, it's not necessarily better. I mean, it'd be better for one side, but if they'd have gone back on this and been like, you know what, we're going to, we're going to let one of these two teams host, like, forget it. Cause the other thing about it is like, okay, that means they probably to your point, can't get the COVID testing stuff set up in time. So then it's like the other host sites are like, well, wait a minute, do we not have to do this, this testing stuff? Like, do, can we not, you know, so like, that's obviously a separate issue altogether, but you know, I, I just don't know what the other, what the alternatives would have necessarily been here. And oh, by the way, this is complicated by the fact that this, one of the regionals involved here, you know, is, is, is finishing on Tuesday because now it's like, well, we, if we were going to go through the traditional process of how we decide who hosts the super in the case of two non-host winning regionals, you know, we'd have to see if it's, it'd be one thing if it was a, you know, a three and a four playing in South Carolina, you know, then maybe we could just say, okay, DBU, let's, let's bank on hosting in, in Dallas if they were going to do that or choose your place DBU, but also we have to figure out who wins that regional in Columbia. And so we're going to figure that out on a Tuesday and then, like hours later, maybe decide where we're going to play that super regional. That just seems like, um, and then potentially tell DBU to get on a plane. Exactly. And then DBU is going to have to travel to a lot of those, unless we're going to play it forth, at which point the other team would have to try, you know? So, um, I just don't think there was any way around it. So I'm one of those people that tries not to get bent out of shape about things that I don't really have a ton of control over and that I don't see a lot of ways to change. I mean, I was, there were a lot of, in my mentions, people throwing out once it was clear, this was going to happen throwing out suggestions for some of the places that were in the original 20, but like, you know, if you were going to choose one of the four that didn't get picked out of the, out of the original 20, like you might as well just hosted host sites, because I guarantee you those places did not go through with setting up COVID testing once they realized they were not going to host. So um, yeah, anyway, like I just, it is what it is. Like Dallas Baptist has been in a similar situation before. I mean, it was the last time they got to a super regional Now they're playing Cal and they played it in Santa Clara. And so it's not like getting from Berkeley to Santa Clara is, you know, across the country or anything, but that was essentially a neutral site super regional when you factor in the fact that it was not at Cal's home park and Cal's not 
a program that really has huge raucous crowds. And so DBU has been in that situation before. And, and so while they are probably not thrilled having to be traveling as far as they are, um, at least they're not traveling to a hostile environment. So I think they will take that trade off. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would also say on this uh, that selfishly, I'm very interested to see what this looks like. Neutral site super regionals used to be a thing that I feel like got talked about more. Don't hear about it much anymore. Uh, but I'm I'm very interested to see what it looks like, uh, given given this opportunity to uh, to see what a neutral, a true neutral site super, not even a like Santa Clara to Berkeley deal, but just like a straight up nobody nobody can claim this as a home park at all. Uh, what, what's what's that all about? Maybe it'll be better than we anticipate. Maybe it'll be much, as as bad as as people are anticipating. I don't know, but. Uh, We'll see. Uh, from a from a purely selfish perspective, I am I'm very interested in that. I wish that it was happening on a on a home site. Like that would be better for everyone involved. But I, I uh, I'm I'm just fascinated to see. Do the people of Columbia, South Carolina, respond and, and show up? Do uh, do do the fans travel from from the Commonwealth? Well, like to yeah, you know, I don't know. And uh, the other very interesting thing about this is like, none of these fan bases are massive. Like Virginia is a pretty big school. They've got the most fans here, but like DBU is a tiny school. It's a division two school. It's not like even if the whole fan base traveled, like, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's not Texas, you know, or whatever, like it's a smaller group to begin with. So uh, it'll, it'll be an interesting situation in Columbia this weekend, no, no matter, no matter what. Yeah, and it's not to your point. I mean, it's it's not going to be one. I imagine the crowds will be pretty small, and so relative, especially relative to that park, and it, it will not be the ultimate uh, way to judge whether or not you know this might be a viable thing moving forward for better or worse. I mean, I'd be curious to see what that looks like in a, in a more real sense. Um, but this weekend probably is, is going to be a little bit wonky. I think there's probably no way around it. An imperfect super regional in an imperfect season. That you know. Welcome, welcome to, to this season for, for everyone just joining us. <laughs> um, all right, Joe, uh, let, let's go to Gainesville, where there was another significant upset as South Florida wins the Gainesville Regional. USF is going to Super Regionals for the first time in program history. They beat South Alabama in the regional final. Would have been the first Super for the Jags if, uh, if they had won it. Uh, and we got there because... Florida went 0-2 and looked terrible doing it. Uh, they lose a close game to USF on Friday and then get beat 19 to 1 or whatever it was by South Al on Saturday. It was it was an abysmal weekend for the Gators. And then Miami, you know, they they had been South Al on Friday, won a game one to nothing, and, and then Florida goes out and you think, well, hey, maybe the maybe this is setting up real nice for the Canes. And then they lose their next two games. Uh, and uh, so we, we get we get South Al and South Florida. And this is as Cinderella as it gets. I mean, DBU is a I mean, DBU is a division two athletic department with a division one baseball team. So, you know, they're maybe should be looked at as a little more darlings. But I mean, they've they've been around as a really good baseball program for a decade plus now. USF again this is their first time on this stage and South Al a really strong program traditionally one of the best programs not to make it to Omaha certainly one of the best not to make it to a super um 
but but still, I mean, there, there's just a difference between them and a, and a DBU. So this was kind of if you want a Cinderella, th this is your spot, and South Florida comes away with it on Monday. Yeah, heck of a you know an opportunity for both those programs. These you know getting to a super regional can really be a program altering thing um, for for some of these programs, and we've seen Cinderella super regional teams where it didn't necessarily seem to amount to much in the end. So they can also just be one-offs, but, but they really can be things that kind of change trajectories a little bit. And so a big deal for both, um, you know, both programs that have some winning in the past, you know, South Florida more recently, but um, meaning, you know, they, you know, were not a very successful program. Then, you know, Mark Kingston comes in, they have some success. South Alabama, meanwhile, to your point has been more successful through the years one of the, I mean, probably the most successful historical program not to be in a super regional. You know, I think we actually talked about that this past off season. I think it's, yeah. You know, I mean, UNC Wilmington has a shout there. Um, I, I don't, I, we did talk about this. I couldn't offhandedly remember the other programs. I mean, I think, though. I think those were the two big ones. Cause you know, UNC Wilmington has been to more regionals lately than South Alabama than like South Alabama. You have to weigh the historical success because they were getting to a ton of regionals before the super regionals existed. So it's yeah, like, how much do you yeah. give them credit for that? You know, anyway, long story short, um, you know, I toyed at the beginning of the weekend, we were doing our predictions. Um, I wanted to pick someone other than Florida in this regional. The trouble was I just didn't know who that was because I really didn't trust Miami. They've had a lot of the same issues. Frankly, Florida has had, and Florida has just coped with them better. And then, you know, South Alabama's, Good pitching team, not a lot of offense. Now they ended up finding some offense, not and not just against Florida. Like Florida, things clearly snowballed on Florida in that elimination game. But you know they they played pretty good offense the rest of the weekend. And then South Florida, I just knew very little about. It was kind of just an average American team, American Athletic Conference team. So I didn't have a, really a clue what to make of them. So you know I ended up picking Florida just because it's like, well, I, I don't have a lot of trust in any of these other teams. And it turns out that that trust was I think well founded because. No one swept through it. Um, you know, the best team got eliminated, you know, right out of the gate. The next best team was close behind them. And, you know, you ended up with a three and a four. And the three and the four basically played to a stalemate. And then, you know, South Florida just ended up getting a couple more runs in South Alabama. And that's the difference. So it was a true melee regional, which which those are fun. You know, you don't want them to all be like that. But it is kind of nice to have just a, a chaos regional where you end up with two teams you, you didn't expect to have in the end. Yeah, South Florida has gone really hot here down at the end of the season. It was kind of hard to see at the end of the American regular season because with, with them playing four games, South Florida like split a bunch of series at the end, but they won their last two games against ECU. ECU, you know, I, I wasn't watching those games. I don't want to say ECU had quit at that point, but like they'd already won the title. They were probably just getting ready for the conference tournament. But, uh, you know, I, I don't want to take anything away from South Florida on the final weekend of the regular season, going out and beating the conference champs twice. And then they get into the conference tournament. They don't sweep through it, but they play really well throughout. They they lost once was all. Uh, and, and they go out and they win the uh, the, the conference tournament to, to get to the NCAA tournament. And then they played really well this weekend. It, it's just a team that got that improved down the stretch, got hot at the right time, has some good pitching, some good top-end pitching. If uh, USF had fallen into a loser's bracket situation here, not, not just losing game one of the, the finals, forcing a game seven, if they, if they had had to fight out of a, a loser's bracket, I don't know that they have the depth to do that. But 
they didn't need to. They uh, they went out. They did it the hard way. They beat Florida. They beat Miami, and and then that that set up really nice for them. And and so, congrats to the Bulls and Billy Mole uh, getting getting South Florida to to this point. And now their reward is uh, going to Texas. So uh, not not an easy draw again. But having just done this, I don't know that they're going to be uh, you know they're, they're not going to be intimidated going into Dish Falk. I don't think. Uh, definitely heavy underdogs again, but but I the way they're playing, I think they're playing with a lot of belief, and uh, they may well they they may well feel like they have another upset in them. Uh, on Florida here quickly, this was the number one team coming into the preseason. It wasn't just us. If you look at any of the many polls around the country, it was Florida coming into the year. I you know I I, I think there's been some Monday morning quarterbacking of that going on. Um, you know I. On, during the game, I know, or during the, the regional, they were talking about, well, like, well, you know, how can you pick a number one team without any conference play? Well, l- let me tell you, like, you, you got to put somebody number one. Like, we have to do preseason rankings. That's how this works. Um, knowing what I know now, like, I obviously Florida wasn't the juggernaut that we thought it was, but they withstood a ton of injuries on the pitching staff. Uh, what I thought was going to be the deepest pitching staff in the country absolutely never materialized as a result. Uh, Tommy Mace and Jack Leftwich were two of the most experienced pitchers in the country and both pitched pretty darn well in 2020. It just, it did not translate to 21 necessarily. Barco started the year poorly before really turning it on in SEC play. Uh, the lineup never really clicked. Uh, for whatever reason, and defensively, Florida was not as good as anticipated. Uh, so that's all why that happened. Now, like, where did we miss in our evaluation? I'm not quite sure yet. Uh, but that it just it never really came together for Florida. At times, they looked pretty good, but it was uh, it was just an inconsistent team that got hit with uh, a bad weekend at the wrong time. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean they they were a team that had all of the issues that, that you talk about there and they would occasionally kind of stumble into big series wins and big individual wins because they would out talent teams, you know, you know, they, they'd get a Judd Fabian home run at just the right time, you know, and, and Fabian had such an inconsistent year, but he, you know, he'll run into one. And so you, you'd get that, or you, you know, you get I mean, I will say they didn't out talent Vanderbilt and they won that series. That's true. That's a good point. So they, you know, but they, they just never, I think that's the best way to put it. They just never really kind of seemed to figure things out. And a lot of different things went not quite as well or not nearly as well as you would have expected. It, it, it didn't ever really feel like it was a complete collapse in any sort of way, in any sort of position unit, but nothing went as well as they would have thought. And it, I think that was in that way, it was kind of just a, um, a kind of fitting ending. The fact that, you know, they, they end up with, they, they felt they were so short on the mound when it, when it really got down to it. And so they're in that South Alabama game and they, they just have to let Franco Alamon wear it, you know, and Franco Alamon is probably, you know, the, the, the pitcher probably that was most plagued with the inconsistency this year where you have great outings and you have awful outings. And it was not a good one for him against South Alabama. And they just didn't have any other levers to pull. Like I had people asking me like, why is he still out there? And I said, well, you know, why was he out there at the very end of that outing? Like, I'm not really sure, but like they were going to have to ride him. Like they didn't have a lot of other options there. And so that's what they ended up with. And it was a, just a, it was not shocking to see that happen within the context of this season, 
But if you had told us in February, that's how the season was going to end, it would have been probably the most shocking thing that, that I'd heard. I mean, I, I, unfathomable back in February. Yeah. Uh, a very, very disappointing weekend. Uh, and just that, that 19 to one loss, it was, it, it was, it was bad that there's, there's, there's no way to spin it. It was, it was just bad. And uh, it, it included South out getting 10 straight hits at one point with two outs, uh, which I've seen calculated when you consider the South out batting averages as like one in 900,000 plus um, the, the odds of, of such an occurrence. So it, some weird stuff happened, but it was, uh, it was a, it was a very impressive win for South out and, and a very uh, dispiriting loss. To, to end the season for Florida. Uh, out West, things went a little more nor- a little more normal. Arizona swept through its regional. Stanford was on the verge of sweeping through its regional when UC Irvine on Sunday night uh, surprised Stanford with a late comeback to force a game seven. Then they played a reasonably tight uh, game seven on Monday, but but Stanford uh, walks away. As the winner, uh, they're going to Super Regionals for the second straight year. Where that did not happen, though, was in Eugene. And things things got weird from the start there, I would say. Um, maybe not totally weird, but LSU had not lost the opening game of the NCAA tournament since 1985. But they were matched up against Gonzaga. Gonzaga has a legit ace in Alex Jacob. And he goes out and he beats LSU on Friday. LSU falls into the loser's bracket. Uh, and you start have to wondering, wonder, like, is Paul Maneri's career, like, are, are, he's playing for his career the, the rest of the weekend now. The Tigers are playing for their season. And they really got pushed by Central Connecticut State in the loser's bracket game. It took them 10 innings to win that game. But after that, LSU just, they were in control the rest of the way, it felt like, in, in many respects. Um, they, they see off Gonzaga in Sunday's elimination game and they go out and they beat Oregon on Sunday night. And then Monday, there was a, it was a great back and forth game between LSU and Oregon. Neither team clearly had the pitching it would want to have left on Monday. Um, and ultimately LSU, it was, I, I don't want to say Oregon played tight for sure, but it, it, it kind of seemed like Oregon was playing tight and LSU was just playing loose and, they went out and they, they get it done. They scored the go-ahead run on a balk, which was disappointing. But, like, that's how it happened. Uh, they go on, they tack on a couple more insurance runs, which were important. And they hang on for a, for a 9-8 victory. And LSU is headed to Super Regionals. And Paul Maneri's career is extended by at least another week. And I will, uh, I will see the next step of, in this uh, pulmonary retirement tour uh, this weekend in Knoxville. I will, I will be there in Knoxville and uh, be able to, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of storylines in that one when you talk about pulmonary, Tennessee trying to get to Omaha for the first time since 2005. So that, that'll be a lot of fun this week. I'm sure the atmosphere will be electric as it was at Lindsey Nelson this past weekend at the regional. But, um, you know, there are a couple of comparisons, this, this LSU run. Um, I, I guess first I should say, it was one of those regionals where I thought about this last night. I, I was trying to like reverse engineer how the, the Eugene regional had played out. And I was thinking about that first game. And, and um, it was one of those regionals where you think about the first game you saw in this regional. And it was, it was Alec Jacob, like shutting out 
LSU and you realize like, man, that seems like that was months ago at this point, <laughs> you know? Um, but it, it regional actually kind of reminded me the obvious comparison is, is Florida state and Mike Martin's final season. But I think the, the, the regional the thing is I was there. They swept through that regional. Like right, they exactly. were clearly the best team. Yeah. So the, the, the comparison that I've actually been compelled by is, is the, is, is Duke in the Athens regional. Yeah. Where, I like that. I like that. Where they, they kind of a dispiriting loss to start fall. The second game looks real dicey for like the entire time they pull it out in dramatic fashion. And then like the second half of the regional, they just, I don't want to say they made quick work of it because last night's game was pretty competitive, but like won the next two games and looked like a completely different team in the first half of the regional. Yeah. Yeah, I I, uh, I definitely like that comparison, and you know it's uh, I don't know what 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 really flipped. You know, obviously LSU this year was you know Landon Marceau was such a big part of of it, although they they struggled to give him run support a lot on Friday night, and LSU's dealt with injuries of their own on the pitching staff, notably obviously Jaden Hill going down, and you know so for them to work through a losers bracket. I thought was was rather impressive. Ben Bianco played a great game for LSU on on Monday night. Um, they uh, they got Dylan Cruz going offensively. Gavin Duga was was really good, and and they got enough pitching. They they found a way to to string it together, and and, and they get enough pitching. On Oregon here, though, um, still a great season, and considering this is year two of Mark Wasikowski. And he got the Ducks in a position where they finish in second place in the Pac-12. They host a regional for the first time in like six years, whatever it was, seven. Um, very, still a very impressive thing. And it's hard to look at that and not be optimistic and excited for the future of the Oregon program. 100%. Yeah, it, it's disappointing. It's one of those deals where it's, it's hard to really it'll take some time for Oregon fans to have the right perspective about it, I think. And I understand that because the way yesterday's game went down where it felt like, you know, for, for stretches of that game, it felt like Oregon should be up eight to two or something, you know, LSU got a couple early runs, but then Oregon really turned it on and it LSU was cycling through pitchers every inning there for a while. And it really felt like Oregon should be running away with this thing, but um, it didn't play out that way. And so to lose that game is, is tough, but if they can, you know, if they can move past that, I think you see that this year was nothing but positive for the program. I mean, let's not forget that, you know, I was very wrong on the predictions, but everybody was very wrong on Oregon this year, where it's, we just didn't know what to make. It's a team that played fairly well to start 2020, but it's, it's a lot of holdover players from teams that just weren't very good, frankly, you know? And so to have this happen with, I don't want to disparage the players. Clearly there was a lot of talent on that roster. We've seen that this year with the seasons for Gabe Matthews and Aaron Zavala and Kenyon Yovan and Kafka and Allstrom and all those guys. And, you know, um, so I don't want to downplay that, but you know, this was a group of guys that, that just hadn't had a lot of success. And so to predict this, I think would have been nuts in the preseason, honestly, unless you're just a, you know, even if you're a big time believer in what coach Waz does like it, it was hard to imagine it would be this good. This, this, there, the result this season was on the extreme high end of anything I would call reasonable for expectations coming into the season. So I think it's silly to be anything but just, you know, um, incredibly excited by what you saw this year. The, the disappointing end to the season, of course, obviously being a, a tough way to end it, but everything else about the season was just so incredibly positive for the Ducks. I will be interested to see what Oregon has coming back next year. Um, you know, obviously some of these guys are moving on. 
Aaron Zavala, Jovan, um, notably Kafka. Um, you know, we'll see about Allstrom. Uh, but they, uh, Wazikowski is a good recruiter. Uh, just, I'll be very interested to see now how, how it rolls over. Um, this was an experienced veteran team, but to your point, I mean, it wasn't like they had accomplished a ton prior to, to this season. So, uh, very interested to see what the future holds, but yeah, I mean, like I said, hard, hard not to be, uh, optimistic about the future of the program, uh, at least given, given a couple days to, to recover from, uh, what was definitely a, a disappointing loss on Monday. Um, also out West this weekend, we had a couple big coaching changes. Joe, I don't want to get into it uh, greatly here. Uh, we've, we've been at this a little while already. Um, but Fullerton, uh, Rick Vanderhoek announces that he will retire in December, stepping down as head coach immediately, but will retire uh, in December. And so they're looking for a new coach for the first time in a decade. And Arizona State on Monday fires Tracy Smith after seven seasons as head coach. That was uh, more. That, that was a surprise. Uh, he had just been given a contract extension in February, albeit a short one, but it had happened. And they made regionals this year despite a ton of injuries on the mound. And a year ago, they were a top ten, top five level team. Um, but, you know, it was canceled and ultimately Tracy Smith never won a regional at ASU, never won the Pac-12, never finished higher than third in the Pac-12, I want to say. And uh, so they, uh, they're making a change as well. We'll be tracking those for sure, but add those two uh, job, job turnovers to uh, a, a growing pile of, uh, of, of coaching searches going on around the country uh, we knew that uh, the, in in the last few months it had become obvious that this this summer was going to be a busy one on the coaching change front. Uh, this is now uh, just two more big time searches in uh, in a group that already includes LSU, A and M, Rice, Utah. Uh, now, now we're adding Fullerton and Arizona State to it. Yeah, we we kind of speculated on what this offseason would look like from that standpoint. It's clear it sits more on the active end. And I, I talk, have talked to coaches over the last couple of weeks that say, you know, A&M making that change, you know, very quickly in the offseason just really seemed to kind of set everything off. Not that that move was necessarily a surprise given that Childers' contract was up, but just the fact that it happened and it happened so swiftly, I think really kicked things. They seem they seemed to believe that really kind of kicked things into gear. So it has been incredibly active. The, the, you know, it's kind of an in Fullerton example with Vanderhook. It's, you know, an interesting thing. He's a, he's a link back to Augie at Fullerton. Um, you know, that's gone, you know, Augie to George Horton, Dave Serrano, and now Vanderhook. Um, it's a, a proud lineage there at Fullerton. It's undeniable. The results had precipitously slipped. And I, I didn't write this in the job profile, but you could have even really nitpicked some of the better years they had where it's well, like, the, I mean, the 17 world series team, like it, it was, it was not great. Like there were three seed, they hosted a super because UW hadn't bid for it. Like it was, oh, that was 18, whatever. Uh, but like, yeah, 17 and 18, when they were in Omaha slash super regionals, it was already kind of clear that things were trending in the wrong direction. Yeah. I mean, both years they got into 
like big holes in non-conference because Florida's in place typically tough non-conference. So they, they were, they were taking a ton of lumps and they, they get hot in the big West, but as we've talked about ad nauseum, the big West, not what it used to be. So they beat up on the big West, win the big West, get in and they, they play their, you got to give them credit for playing their best baseball at the right time, but you could really nitpick the results even beyond, you know, the 19 and, and 20 and 21 seasons. But those ended up being, I think what, what pushed it over the edge was, you know, um, just that this year was, was such a precipitous drop off. And so you really can't argue too much about uh, which way things were heading, heading there. Um, and that's an interesting one because, you know, Fullerton's not a, not a, a, a Titan, no pun intended in terms of uh, finances in the sport. And so um, that's why they're the Fullerton guys is kind of a thing. They recruit Fullerton guys and the coaches are Fullerton guys. And it's pretty insular because it almost kind of has to be in a lot of ways. So that'll be fascinating to watch there. Tracy Smith at Arizona State is in a forthcoming job profile like that we've started on because this opened. We, you know, we, I talked about how. By the time you listen to this, it'll probably be online. Yeah, there you go. So you can really, whatever conclusion you are inclined to come to about Tracy Smith's tenure at Arizona State, you can use the data to back you up because, yes, he is, you know, never got to much less, never got to super regional, much less Omaha, never hosted a regional, never won a Pac-12, like you said, never came in second in Pac-12, the uh, worst winning percentage for any ASU coach in history. Like all of that is true. And he got seven years. Like there were people getting itchy about Tracy Smith in years like three. So, I mean, he did get a pretty good run. So that's the argument for like, look, fair is fair. Like it just didn't quite work out. The counter argument is, okay, well, if 2020 gets played out, we probably aren't having this argument. Secondarily, his best coaching job might have been this year. <laughs> like that team, I don't truly don't think that team had much business being in a regional. When you talk about the pitching injuries and an injury, by the way, that doesn't get talked about, Connor Davis was supposed to be a grad transfer hitting right in the middle of that order, like missed the entire year. They never had him, so they didn't know what they were missing. But um, so those injuries happen. The offense was painfully young. Those guys kind of grew up on the job and did a really good job. You know, Ethan Long is now one of the best sluggers in the Pac-12. And they get to a regional and, and sure, they, they ran out of gas in a regional, but like that was kind of expected. Like, I don't know anybody who was bullish on what they were going to be able to do in a regional, even in a fairly forgiving regional in Austin, you know, where they are more talented than Fairfield. Um, but so you can make arguments on both sides of Tracy Smith and whether or not he should have gotten more time or whether it was time to move on. And, um, you know, that creates a lot of what if situations, you know, I'm sure Tracy has, you know, he, you know, he's, he's a pretty level headed guy, but like, I'm sure in, in private moments, he's thought about what if on the 2020 season, as we all have with that team. And, um, that's gotta be tough, but you know, he's a guy who I think, um, will have other opportunities and he's earned them. And so I don't, I don't worry too much about him in that regard, but it's just a tough deal for, for him to get let go at ASU in that way. Yeah, I, uh, I would agree on that. I would also say that Arizona State recruits at a level that like only UCLA is better than them on the West Coast. So uh, while I did not have their 2021 class ranked on signing day, their 2020 class, the group of freshmen that just played really well all year, uh, was a very highly ranked class. I don't have it in front of me, but it was a top 10 class at least, if not top five. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's uh, it's an interesting deal, but there, there are good points to be made on both sides and uh, perhaps a, a fresh start is what's needed. But at the same time, Arizona State has been looking to figure out how to win a national title for now longer than I've been alive. And 
ever since things went south with Pat Murphy, and I'm not here to get into that, uh, they have been lost, uh, just a little lost, frankly. And I thought they had found themselves uh, in 19 and 20 under Tracy Smith, and now it seems like they're lost again. And um, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, Ray Anderson, their AD, has made some nice hires in other sports, so we'll see what he comes up with this time. But they're working with uh, deck stacked against them a little bit uh, when you consider that, you know, you would you think that ASU is on a level with uh, an A&M at least, maybe not an LSU, but at least an A&M. And then you consider that they're going to pay their new head coach less than half of what A&M is going to pay their new head coach, uh, I would guess. And it might even be less than that. So uh, they're, they're just they're, – they're, Ray Anderson said in – his press conference yesterday effectively that they want to be a top 16 team and that's fine. That's all well and good. That that's where Arizona state can live in this sport. Uh, but they don't want to pay top 16 prices. So to that, I say, good luck. Um, there are a lot of forces acting that, that lead them to act that way, but, uh, it's, uh, it's a tough, it's a tougher deal than you would expect. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to, because, you know, we are trying to, to move here a little bit, but, um, you know, I, <laughs> that, that's kind of the thing, though, that, like, is another argument to be made for, like, why didn't you just kind of try to play this out a little bit, considering how much this year's team kind of um, out, overachieved maybe is a little strong, but, but played well in tough, difficult circumstances, is that, okay, you, you want to be a top 16 team, but you're not going to pay like it, and okay, like, it is also true that because of conference affiliation and a number of other things like Arizona state is really not in a position to, to use Ray Anderson's words, lavish coaches with compensation, um, high end compensation. Like, Oh, that, that's totally true. But then if that's the case, like maybe it is time to have a real difficult conversation about what ASU baseball can realistically be year to year. Can they, I mean, can they still win a national title? Absolutely. Like nobody's really talking about that, but, you're talking about something different when you're talking about we want to be a, a host caliber team. Let's just call it that every single year. That's a whole different deal. And there are very few teams that pass that smell test. And if you want to be that, like you do have to kind of um, do things to make that happen. You can't just be ASU baseball and expect that to happen. And it feels a little like maybe some of that is going on. That's just my kind of outsider take on it. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is John Savage makes double, more than double, I think, what ASU's paying. And, like, I'm not here to say he doesn't deserve it, but, like, you got to close that gap. If you're, if you're trying to compete at the top of the Pac-12, you got to find a way to close that gap. And it doesn't have to be in coaching compensation. Like, that, that's not the entire thing. Like, that, that's what I'm talking about right now. But, like, there are other ways to support your team if, if you want to get into that. And, like, I, it, it's just – I don't know. Like at some point in the offseason, maybe we can deep dive Arizona State because I actually have have to get moving on, on other things today. But uh, like it, it's uh, it's an interesting situation that somebody is going to be walking into. On the plus side, though, they do inherit a pretty talented roster. And with the transfer portal situation the way it is, uh, they probably can augment it because ASU is a it's conveniently located in Phoenix. It's a, it's a nice place to, to go, go play your baseball and, and, and go get an education. So uh, it definitely has things going for it, just maybe a little bit less than, than what you might expect. Uh, but anyway, 
We'll be back here uh, with another edition of the Baseball America College podcast later in the week to talk Super Regional previews, uh, get into to that ahead of what should be another exciting weekend of college baseball. Until then, uh, you can read everything over on the website. That's BaseballAmerica.com. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy, BA. And don't forget to subscribe to the Baseball America podcast so the, the, the preview episode later this week pops right into your phone. You can do that on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere where you get your podcasts, you can find the Baseball America podcast. Thank you all for listening to uh, to the, this edition of the Baseball America College podcast. Thank you to Rap Soto for presenting it. As always, for Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time.